As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel. He is Paul Tenorio. And Paul, I do not know what we did, man. But the soccer gods do not want us to record this show. <laughs> no. I am I am going to try to get my energy back up for the third attempt at recording the show. Yes, this is the third try. We've but- never had this happen before. Paul almost cried after the second try. He's very sleep deprived. He was very sad. Um, well, we were he was forty-eight on, minutes on the into brink it. Of, on the brink of tears. We were basically done, so we're gonna have to re-record this thing. Hopefully, it's better. Maybe we'll think of new things that we hadn't thought of before. I'll definitely be what I think is more eloquent, and probably isn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, you know, we've been talking a lot, so we're, maybe we're a little drained. Maybe the vocal cords are a little taxed. Anyway. We're we're just going to get right into it. We got a lot to talk about. It's been a while since we recorded together. Paul and Felipe Cardenas, our colleague from The Athletic, did an admirable job of filling in for me last week. Who carried the piano last week, by the way? Well, we know who can carry the piano when the other one's missing because I got my episode out when you were on vacation and you <laughs> dropped the That's piano. Right. Dropped the ball, dropped it the piano. crushed me like a pancake. <laughs> <laughs> So this yeah, this show those completely of, falls apart when I'm gone, but at least oh, we can yeah, keep it going yeah, when you're yeah. gone. Whatever. Matt Pence and I tried to record an episode. We did record an episode, but we had some technical difficulties, and so it was not released two weeks ago. So apologies for that. Paul, I think this is our first show in three weeks. We are recording in the same state, which is maybe maybe why we're having so many difficulties. This has never happened before. Um, we're in America's Dairyland. The milk is clogging the pipes 
for the podcast. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. The, the third the, time's not the charm. It's not the charm. <laughs> um, yeah. The universe can't handle two allocation disorder hosts being in the same state. We're not even that close to each other. We're still like no. four hours drive away from Wisconsin's each other. Wisconsin's sneaky big, but by after, the way. After the last episode failed 48 minutes in, I cracked a, a beer and I'm drinking a spotted cow because I'm in wow. Wisconsin. So this episode is brought to you by spotted cow and right. milk. You know, uh, <laughs> milk. milk, it's for your body. Um, you know, you're in Wisconsin when you see the spotted cow. That's uh, that's the motto there for those of you who don't know. Um, those of you who do know, congratulations. You're, you're our friends. Uh, anyway, let's dive in. A lot has happened in the three weeks since we last recorded an episode of the show. Most recently, Toronto FC have had some significant changes. Chris Armis, after 11 MLS games as TFC head coach, is no longer TFC head coach. He was fired after a 7-1 defeat to DC United. TFC immediately went out on Wednesday night. They scored three goals at New England in the first 15 minutes against the first place Revs. Ended up winning the match 3-2, hanging on for dear life a little bit at the end under interim manager Javier Perez. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Jesse Fiorinelli, former GM of San Jose Earthquakes. He was dismissed on June 29th, my birthday, actually, Paul. For those of you who don't know, now you know. You can send me gifts. Yeah, you're getting old. I know. I'm an old, decrepit man. That's why I make terrible jokes in introductions to podcasts. So it goes. This is aging. Um, <laughs> so we'll talk about Jesse Fiorinelli being out in San Jose. What's going on with the quakes? Another front office move, another behind the scenes, kind of under the radar situation in Atlanta, Demetrios Estathiu moving down there, effectively replacing Paul McDonough, long time MLS executive. He was pretty high up in the player department. So we'll talk a little bit about that situation and we'll talk a little bit about what Matt Pence and I tried to talk about and no one got to hear, which was the Houston Dynamo and Dash getting a new owner, Ted Siegel. That's what it is right there. You had technical difficulties talking mm-hmm. about Houston with Pence. Mm-hmm. We started our third and final segment today talking about Houston. Wow. Ted Siegel's family is very powerful. Houston, we they, have a problem. The Siegel family is in the electricity <laughs> business. They're knocking out our computers. They're, they're, they're shutting they're down the grid, sure man. That we don't they're say anything about them that they don't like. I mean, we weren't even like there's nothing to say. They haven't really done anything. Whatever we need to say, Houston, <laughs> to make sure you don't knock out this third attempt of recording. Because if this doesn't work, there's no episode this week or else sam's gonna talk to himself because i can't Min- record oh. this again i talked to myself enough it's gonna be me and lyle doing a show it's gonna be a lot of barking lyle's wanted that feature role for a long time so i mean lyle is the star well if we're being honest he deserves he deserves more limelight he's sitting right next to me right now you'll probably hear him later on anyway let's start let's go to toronto or orlando or wherever they are at this moment in time i mean this is an unmitigated disaster let's just call that what it is it was a weird hire to begin with. Uh, I think it caught a lot of people, myself included, off guard. And I think it still went worse than anyone could have ever expected. Uh, they had five points through 11 games under Chris Armis. As mentioned, the 7-1 defeat. Anytime you give up that many goals and you lose that bad, you have you know a, a case of players kind of giving up on the field. And that's not something that's really tenable for a coach. And it wasn't for Armis. So he is gone. 11 games into what I am told it was a three-year contract with TFC. So Ollie Curtis, the GM, Bill Manning, the president, 
with some serious questions to answer about why they made that decision. Um, and with some really, really serious questions to answer about what next, uh, Paul, what do you make of this entire situation? What do you make of the firing in the micro sense uh, in terms of doing it now and doing it, you know, over the weekend and in, in the macro sense of doing it 11 games into the guy's tenure? Yeah. I mean, I think overall to me, it's just a huge acknowledgement that they felt they got it wrong, right? Like internally, they must have just believed that it was something that they couldn't climb back from. It wasn't just results on the field, that it was a, a, a bad fit with with the coach and the club. And I think, you know, look, I, I've been on the record before that I like Chris Armis. I thought that he did a better job in New York than he got credit for. I, I thought the what happened with that roster in New York in his tenure was the bigger problem there. But I also raised my eyebrows when this hire happened because it just felt like it didn't work. You know, he wasn't high profile enough for Toronto. He had been fired by one of their rivals who was, you know, a smaller club than Toronto in the context of Major League Soccer. And he comes – he, he's a coach who wants to high press. He wants to run. He, he wants athletic teams. This Toronto team is not that. It's very much not that. You know, maybe it will be. Maybe they believed they were going to be in the next couple of years as this roster, I think, is reaching a point where it needs to be turned over pretty significantly. But it just didn't, you know, it didn't feel like a partnership that worked. And Sam, I mean, at the time of this hire, they, they weren't saying like, oh, this is being done with an eye toward rebuilding. They were like, no, we're going to win MLS Cup. And that that just to me this was year, like a, we're yeah, going a bigger to red flag, you know? Yeah. And, that, and, and that probably indicates, Sam, sorry, I'll throw it to you right now, but like, you have to believe that, that that belief that they're good enough to win is why it happens 11 games into a three-year contract. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's impossible to argue they weren't underperforming. I mean, yeah, the roster is kind of in a weird place in terms of they have a ton of young guys and they have a ton of old guys. And they don't have many guys in the middle, right? And they're trying to change that. You know, look, you look at Jefferson Soteldo, who I, I think he just turned 24. Um, he's a good age. You know, oh, there's Lyle. Uh, <laughs> Pozuelo is a good age, still decent age. Um, so those are two theoretically star players, um, and they're they're but but the rest of the roster is kind of in a weird spot uh, career wise. <sighs> I mean, the expectations there are always going to be super high, and they were super high internally, as you mentioned, right? This was it's MLS Cup or bust for them every single season, and I think I don't know. <sighs> I'm having, I'm just having a hard time squaring this all, Paul. Like, uh, here I am. I'm barely able to string a sentence together. I just keep going back to a conversation that I had with Joshua Cloak, who is our writer in Toronto. He covers TFC. He covers the Maple Leafs. He does some hockey stuff, but he's really plugged in at TFC. And we, him and I did a story before Armis was hired, just kind of like run of the mill outlining 10 candidates or whatever it was to that TFC might go after. Right. And we didn't even put Armis on the list. He had just gotten fired from Red Bull, like you mentioned, a smaller club. Um, I agree with your take there that the the roster issues were the bigger problem, and he wasn't exactly a massive failure there. Uh, but <laughs> it it was just a bizarre hire. It do- the pressing system doesn't fit um, that roster whatsoever, and <sighs> I don't know, man. Like that club has a lot of big personalities in the locker room and a lot of established personalities in the locker room. And what I mean by that is these guys aren't changing. They are who they are. They're fully grown, fully adult men, you know? 
And they're not going to change for any coach. They are who they are. And the coach has to come in and manage that. And that's a tough social situation to manage. And then you bring in a new soccer system that, I mean, we saw Quentin Westberg's comments from a couple of months ago talking about how Armas took a team that played with the ball and had a lot of success in 2020 and just completely changed the system for a team that wasn't built for it. And the results were predictable. And they said, oh, lost in translation. But I don't know. I don't know how lost in translation it was. The point was correct, if we're being honest. And the hire didn't make a ton of sense at the time. I didn't think it would go this way. I thought they had enough talent. I thought Armis would come up with some sort of hybrid system where they're not going to be pressing all out. Uh, they have had a lot of injuries. They obviously have been in, they've been in Orlando, not at home in Toronto, which that's a real thing. It's a real difficulty. But yeah, this it didn't make a ton of sense. And then I don't know what they do going forward, man. Yeah, like, where, where I, do I don't you know. look? Where do you look if you're Bill Manning? If you're Ali well, Curtis? that's that's the weird thing about MLS coaching searches. And this happened with Toronto last time. You get connected in names with like Patrick Vieira, who I reported they spoke to last time around, and he just got hired by Crystal Palace, a solid Premier League team. <laughs> and then you also end up hiring Chris Armas. So you have this weird dichotomy where you're talking to like MLS assistants that no one in the global game has ever heard of. And then you're connected with like a Roberto Martinez, right? And it's just bizarre in terms of the profiles <laughs> of those two sets of managers, right? And I think that'll probably happen again for Toronto. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they went down a road where they hire somebody just for 2021 where they say, come on in, write the ship, figure out the locker room. Somebody that's probably more of a man manager than a tactical manager. Someone who can manage those personalities. And if they do really well, maybe they get the full-time job. If not, they can move on after this year. They can run a search concurrently and they can get their guy for 2022. Um, but I don't know. I think they still feel like they have a lot to play for this season. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I, I don't know who who would come on a one-year contract who would want to take a, pre, a prove it deal um, i mean that would have to be like a dom Kinnear, a ben olsen maybe a cpl coach right like a bobby smirniotis perhaps um it's an interesting name you know i think i think there is interest there um you reported i think there that he was on the list the last time around uh yeah i, I think that I, was in one of josh and i's stories yeah I, I believe he's on a list this time around. He's had success in the CPL. He's developed talent in Brampton, Kyle Lahren, Richie Larea, who's with Toronto FC. So he knows the talent in the area. He'd be an interesting hire. Certainly, you know, wouldn't be the high-profile hire, but that you don't hope – high-profile hires don't always work. I mean, they could go hire Frank DeBoer right now. He was a high-profile hire in Atlanta. That didn't work out. Gabriel Heinze, that hasn't worked out too well. <laughs> yes. Matias Almeida, I, that hasn't worked out too well. Hire Frank DeBoer. <laughs> hey, he's available. Frank DeBoer is available. You know who else is available? Former TFC consultant, Jurgen Klinsmann. Maybe they should hire him. Maybe they should hire him. Hey, Roberto Martinez, he might be available. I don't know. Is he going to coach through the World Cup? Does he Does he keep his job? I, I'd go ahead and coach through the World Cup if I'm Roberto but Martinez. Is he, does he have the option to? I don't even know. When does his contract <laughs> run up? So, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting what, what they do. Do they go to an MLS assistant like a Pat Noonan? Do they try to poach um a coach from another mls team you know do they do they make a run at jim Curtin? i mean he's a high press coach as well so maybe that wouldn't be the the best example just signed an extension to just signed an extension he'd be expensive um ultimately this comes back to in my opinion 
we can look at the hire itself. And I think a lot of people in Toronto have been doing that and, and criticizing Ali Curtis for the hire and saying, you know, oh, he hired his friend and blah, blah, blah. But I think this goes back further than that to what happened with Greg Vanny. Mm-hmm. Because that extension was done. It was it was pretty much done. He and, walked away from it. And then he walked away. Yeah. So it really, to me, that's indicative of a, of a bigger problem. I have a question about Toronto FC. Who's in charge? Is it Ali Curtis or is it Bill Manning? Or is it some weird, I don't know what you call a two-person triumvirate? Do you know? Help me out here. It's the third time. Third time is that a word? Duopoly? (laughs) That is a word. I don't think it means what you think it means. (laughs) I I never get words right on this podcast. It's my thing. We are professional writers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. But I do have a... you know they're both in the press conference to to talk about the Armis hiring, right? They're both in the they're both in the press releases for the big signings and the big moves, right? And I'm just kind of wondering who's in charge, right? Which vision is in charge? Are their visions perfectly aligned? You know, maybe you think so, but I'm not really sure, right? And and I'm sure they have healthy disagreements, right? Just like any two people would. Um, but I'm not sure exactly where Toronto is trying to head both with their roster and how it's been constructed and how it's been kind of I don't, cobbled together is not the right word, but uh, maintained, you know, despite the fact that that window I think is closing for some of those players. Um, so I, I don't know who's in charge and I, and I feel like they need a clear vision and a clear leader and a clear one way forward from one person or for those two to be maybe more aligned because what I see there now doesn't make a ton of sense to me and i think they need to figure that out and this coaching search will be uh instructive in that regard for sure so i don't know i mean what would you do if you're them i don't know i i I think i think you go big i think you go big to try to communicate a statement of intent to the fan base that is going to have little to no patience what is big? A statement of intent? Yeah, I mean, it Matt, it does. It communicate those these types of hires communicate. Certain you know what things. communicates? You know, you know what communicates well? Winning. Okay, what coaches in MLS right now are you looking at and being like, yeah, I'm convinced that that guy's going to help me win? Is it Pat Noonan? Do you think okay, a top assistant from a team that's outperforming? No, let's go get Pat. That doesn't. He's never had a head coaching right. job. So, you can't so, say that about anyone. Exactly. That's never so had a head why coaching wouldn't job. you go and look at the kind of the bigger names again? I mean. We what know bigger that, names? What yeah, bigger names? I don't know. I mean, I'm not, you know, look, there are some really highly recommended consulting firms that MLS HQ will oh, give you the business are there? for. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> and they have lists of names. And those okay. names have come to Major League Soccer before. All right. Yeah. Jurgen Klinsmann. Go ahead. I, all I'm saying is I think it's a really awkward time in terms of where you are in the calendar, where you are in the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they just rocked with an interim for a while and they took their time with the search. Like, yeah, they still want to win this year. I'm sure they still think they can salvage something from this year. They still can. They have 22 league games left. Seven teams make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. They have good players. Look at what Minnesota has done. Everyone yeah. was saying they're ne- they're out, they're out, they're out. They're no, above the playoff line. You win four games in a row. Boom. You're right there. You win three games and draw one out of four. Boom. You're right there. Like, this thing can change super quick. So, I don't know. I think they rock with an interim for a while. They give that guy a chance. 
whether that's Perez, whether that's somebody else, we'll see. Um, the messaging on Perez has been a little weird. <laughs> like, he doesn't know how long he's going to be there. Manning and Curtis aren't saying how long he's going to be there. So that's been a bit strange. But I think they rock with that. They see how it goes. I think they run a search concurrently. And if they need to, I think they, you know, I think they would probably go big in the off season if if it comes to that. Well, we're going to have to come up with a good a good list of names because right now we've got Jurgen Klinsmann and Frank DeBoer. So Yeah, that's right. Bring back Mo Johnston. Bring him back. You know, just hire Stoichkov. <laughs> I don't I don't even think he's got a license. It doesn't matter. Precky, former TFC former TFC coach, man. Okay, let's Now we're now we're talking. Aaron Vinter. Let's make it happen. Got to go into your history. A, a, a very long history of success at Toronto FC. Bring back Danny Coovermans as a coach. Well, now we're at a point where it's very clear we need to take a break and move on. (laughs) Agreed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. And we're back. Allocation disorder. Talking MLS. Talking hires, firings, all kinds of stuff going on. Charlotte FC, incoming expansion club in 2022. They made some news this week, Paul Tenorio. You spoke with their new head coach, Miguel Angel Ramirez, last of Internacional in Brazil, where he was there for, what, four months? And then then got the axe, despite having a decent record. Um, but prior to that, he was at Independiente del Valle in Ecuador, where he did very well and was very well regarded. Uh, won Copa Sudamericana with the club. Um, young head coach, intriguing hire, Spanish from the Canary Islands, way out there in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you spoke to him the other day. You put a story up on The Athletic that was informative and enjoyable. Tell us a little bit about this hire, about what you think it means for Charlotte, who now, you know, we got we to gotta talk about this. GM and head coach with no prior experience in MLS. That's kind of, this is kind of our brand here. Yeah, it's definitely our brand. Before we get to our brand, I will go on my impressions of, of my conversation with Miguel and Hel Ramirez, and that is that it was very positive. You know, you try not to be too biased based on a, you know, a, a short interview, one conversation, but, you know, I came away Getting with the impression that he's a um, very confident in kind of the way he wants to play, the ideas behind his game model. He talked about attacking space and um, taking those spaces, and those spaces will be different from from team to team. Um, but the the system is built around finding and exploiting the space. So he wants to um, beat you with the ball, ideally. Um, but you know his teams in in Ecuador were very efficient at at winning the ball back, pressing and winning it back um, in relatively short order. So he is capable of pressing, which I think we see a lot of in modern soccer. Um, 
And I, I thought, you know, it, it was interesting when he talked about, and I, I led my story with this, kind of his background being from the Canary Islands, um, a place that historically has been kind of um, uh, uh, a hub of cultural activity, immigrants coming a crossroads. From, yeah, yeah, coming from the Americas, going to Europe, coming from Africa and Europe, going to the Americas. And and so he kind of grew up with this mentality of global, you know, globalism, globalist mentality, wanting to travel, wanting to experience different cultures. And he has. He started at Las Palmas in Spain. He went to Qatar. He thought his experience in Qatar had the biggest market. Uh, sorry, the the biggest um, impact on him. Uh, in that <laughs> Paul is tired. Don't get mad at him. Yeah. He's tired. Um, had the biggest impact on him because of the different coaches that he was working with there from all different places in the world and. The, the conversations that they would have and the things that they would do together where he would see their vision for the game and their influences. And that changed the way he thought about the game and saw the game. And and I thought that was super interesting. And then he went to South America, which he talked about as being a more emotional game than, than the kind of tactical side that he had grown up with and kind of the South American culture and how that's influenced him. So uh, I'm really interested to see what happens in in MLS. I I, I do want to note, and I, and this goes into the point about our brand. It sounds like it's going to be a very European structure in Charlotte, um, where you know the front office, the soccer CSO Zoran Kerneta. Uh, Kerneta. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I, I I I'm letting you do the difficult names first in this episode, Sam. That's um, what I'm here for. Carry the piano. Yeah, exactly. About time. Um. <laughs> you know, he will be making the major decisions on the roster and and Ramirez will be kind of doing what a lot of coaches do, create the player profile at every position. This is what I'm looking for. You sign the players. So um, w- how well they do that, how well they, um, you know, Mesh. scout and sign yeah. players and where they're looking for players and how much they know and understand what works in this league and what doesn't going to be pretty pretty important it's so key for expansion teams so key because they're going to have an expansion draft there's going to be five guys in it you have to get contributors from there you have to if you're an expansion team right if you need and if you want to do well you have to work the trade market you have to work the free agency market you know you can't just sign 30 guys from abroad you can't it won't you, you don't have the space you don't have the international slots it won't work it's impossible so you need to have hits in the domestic market from MLS players. And how well are those two going to know that market? They have signed some guys from MLS in the front office. Mark Nichols, he ran Seattle's Academy. He's he's there. I can't remember his exact title. I believe it's technical director. Technical director, director yeah. Yeah. Um so he's there. So that'll be some experience. They they've they've signed they've hired some people from Atlanta as well and i think one other club i might be forgetting right now so they have some experience but it's not at the top level um in terms of their organization so that's going to be interesting because they they have to hit on that and we'll see how it goes hopefully it goes well for charlotte's sake right but if history has taught us anything it's that that combo right coach and gm without previous mls experience there's a learning curve and that learning curve is most stark in two ways, MLS rules and the MLS player pool. So we'll see. I think they'll be cool on rules because they have a lot of lead time, but I'm, 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 let's wait and see on the, uh, on the player pool. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to understand what profile of players works well in this league. It's a very physical league. I think athleticism actually matters 
a ton in this league. And it, I think there's a learning curve for people who come into this league. I think there is a tendency to undervalue, underestimate the quality of the league, the quality of the domestic player in the league, and the emphasis on athleticism in this league. And and, and just all the little things, man. The yeah. travel, the, the travel, heat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The knowledge all of that knowledge stuff. of what you're going into, right? When you, when you get on a flight and you go to Dallas or Houston in the summer or Orlando. Just experience. And, and I think, you know, I just think it, it's not that – it's not that um, non-MLS experienced GMs can't find good players, aren't capable. No. It's that there's a learning yeah. curve. There's a learning 100%. curve. 100%. And, and yeah, let's transition from there yeah. <laughs> out west to San Jose, where Jesse Fiorinelli, a guy who arrived ahead of the 2017 season with no MLS experience, is now out after four and a half, I don't know, what are we calling these? Below average, subpar San Jose Earthquakes. Not great. Yeah, seasons. Uh, they finished dead last in the league one year, I believe. Uh, they were right around the playoff bubble all of the other years. That Fiorinelli was in charge, and they are currently under the playoff line. I was looking this up earlier, and I might not have it 100% right. I need to, to, to double check. But I believe in his four and a half years in charge, San Jose acquired two players with ML, with prior MLS experience under Fiorinelli. Two in four and a half years. That's crazy. It's That's crazy. An, it's an insane stat. It's an insane stat. The two, for those curious, and I know you are, Eric Rometty, who was acquired in a trade from Atlanta this past winter, and Dom Oduro, who was acquired in a trade in 2018 from Montreal for Quincy Ameriqua. Uh That's not a kiss of death. That doesn't mean you can't succeed, right? But... It means you better be good on your foreign signings. And San Jose doesn't spend a ton of money, which makes this a harder job. But Fiorinelli wasn't great with that. Uh, you know, of all the guys he signed, in terms of the higher profile, higher price ones, the DPs, the TAM guys, Cristiano Espinosa is probably the one hit, right? And it's not like he's setting everything on fire. He's been pretty good. It's not amazing. Um, and then you have... A bunch of middling or worse, right? Magnus Eriksson, Danny Hussen, Guram Kashia. Uh, there are some others I'm missing, but it's not a super impressive list. Vako. Um, how could we forget Vako? How could we forget Vako? Uh, so you combine those things, you combine a miserable head coaching hire off the bat in Mikel Stare, which was a total disaster. Um, and you get subpar results. And I have a lot of questions about San Jose. Fiorinelli, I think, deserves credit for getting Matias Almeida to come. Um, you know, I think that was a pretty significant hire. I think we can say Almeida's done a decent job in San Jose. Not a great job, a decent job. Um, so we'll see, man. This is a team in serious transition. What do you what do you make of everything going on with the Quakes? I'm intrigued by the market. You know, I think that the market could be a strong homegrown territory. I think California in general has produced talent. I think Northern California is underrated. I think there are some I bigger... Just, I just want to stop Paul real quick, and I'm sorry to interrupt Paul, no, but I this know is what important. You're do. I know what you're going to do. We're gonna we were having on. this discussion no. in the previous recording of the show, Unbelievable. and Paul thought Landon Donovan was from Northern California, and anyway, he wouldn't back down. He made himself look it up when I tried to bet him all of the gam in the world that he was wrong and that Landon Donovan's from Southern California. He didn't believe me, and then he looked it up, and turned out I was right. 
Wouldn't you assume that the Redwoods, California, would be closer to the Redwoods? Not Isn't it Redlands? Re- whatever. It's Red something. <laughs> That's a big difference, man. Whatever, it could be man. Red Manhattan Beach. I don't know. Well, it's not Red Manhattan Beach. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for bringing that up and, and giving welcome. me PTSD from that second episode that we recorded. I hope you earlier. can recover. I don't know that I will be able to recover. Look, I, I like San Jose as a market. I, I think, again, I think there are some um, areas where you can really tap into homegrown talent, um, but they're not going to spend money. And as long as the ownership group doesn't spend money, they're not going to be successful. That gets I me disagree thinking, with that. I disagree with that. Well, I think it's it, not going to be successful unless I think they do a few things to leverage their both their knowledge of Major League Soccer in the front office, one, and two, potentially to go another direction, which is to put somebody in charge of, of soccer ops that comes from analytics. It's never been done in MLS to have a CSO who comes from analytics. It would fit well. That guy. Right? The Oakland A's, Moneyball, they're known for it. Yeah. You know, do you go so get a there guy is like a connection, Devin for those Pooler? who don't know. Yeah, the, the Oakland A's and, and San Jose share ownerships. Yeah, so so do you go get a guy like a Devin Pooler? You know, from, from Toronto? Toronto y- maybe. Right? That would be interesting. I'd be intrigued. I'd like to see, I mean, I was just talking to someone about it's not a super long list of domestic options um to run yeah. your your sporting department. You know, Will Kuntz in LAFC, I think, would be another interesting name to, to yep. talk to someone who knows the MLS rules really, really well, um, knows how to manage a salary cap well, uh, I think deserves an op- opportunity. Ned Grabovoy in Portland, uh, another person who's considered one of the best. I think certainly he is known for also his eye for scouting talent as well, which is important. So. I don't know. I don't know where they go from here. I, I can tell you that if they do what they did last time and hire a guy like Fiorinelli, then you're going to yeah. get similar results. That's I can. That's what I can tell you. I have a lot of thoughts on San Jose. First of all, what's the plan? Ownership, John Fisher. What What are you doing? It's been nine years since 2012, since the Goonies came out of nowhere and won the Supporters Shield. That was not a sustainable team, and we've seen that in the seasons since. I believe since then, they've pretty much been a playoff bubble team, either just barely sneaking in or just barely missing out, except for a couple of years when they were like basically dead last. How is that acceptable over a span of nine seasons now? You're not doing anything really that differently. You haven't picked a lane. And if you're not going to spend money, you have to pick a lane, right? Think about the teams that are decently successful that don't spend. Philly. Dallas is decently successful. Salt Lake has been decently successful, right? Red Bulls, uh, I miss it. Kansas City. What are those teams? They, they all pick a lane, right? A lot of them go the academy route, right? And really emphasize that. And they're like, this is how we're going to exploit a market inefficiency. I think the data route could be interesting. It's certainly a cultural fit, both organizationally and geographically in that part of the world, Silicon Valley. Um, that could be an interesting way to find it, maybe find a uh, market inefficiency. There are some people in MLS, like you mentioned, Devin Pluler, Ravi, whose last name I'm not even going to attempt because I will get it absolutely wrong from Seattle. Um, he's pretty well respected in that role. So there are some people, um, I don't know if they go that route, um, but perhaps they look at it. Uh, 
you just got to pick a lane because if you're not going to spend money, you need to have an identity. And they've just sort of been floating around and they're trying to find bargain buys and it's not working and they don't have any MLS know-how in their front office and they haven't had a ton on their coaching staff. And it's just completely average. If you do that again, you're probably just going to get the status quo or worse again, right? So pick a lane, San Jose. Figure it out. You you do have some talent in that area. I don't know if it's as much as you think it is, Paul. And Fiorinelli did some – he upped the academy. He made it a little bit better. You see Cade Cowell. You see some really young guys that they've signed homegrown contracts. That's still underperforming. I'm not sure what the ceiling is there. It's certainly not what it is in L.A., or Dallas, for instance, but it's higher than what they've what they've gotten to. So you can you can get some more out of that. But I don't know, man. I just feel like that ownership group that it's they've just been okay with crappy results for far too long. And where's the accountability? Four and a half years, Fiorinelli. Do you really need that? And then the other thing about this man, this is a weird job. It's a weird job. That market doesn't care about that team, and why should they? To be frank, right? But from what I've been told, a lot of players are out of contract at the end of the year. Almeida has a very, very specific specific style of playing, right? Man marking, we all know about it. He's only under contract through 2022. So you bring in a new GM and you have a relatively blank slate in terms of the roster because a lot of people are out of contract. And you say, okay, you have this blank slate. Go do what you will. Well, your head coach has a very specific way of playing and he's only under contract for one more year. That's awkward. Do you want to use your blank slate on, to recruit a bunch of guys that fit Almeida's vision of playing when he might be gone at the end of the year? And let's keep in mind here, Paul, Almeida's connected to a job in Latin America like every three weeks, right? Um, so you don't know if he's going to stick around. He's never been in a job as long as he's been in the San Jose job, I think, at this point. Or he's coming up on his longest job ever. So... I don't know. I think I think the first order of business for the new GM, and maybe it's Chris Leitch, who's the technical director, who's been there for a long time, maybe it's somebody else, is establish a relationship with Almeida, evaluate him, let him get to know you, and see if you want to keep him around. And if not, cut bait. And if so, sign him to an extension. Because you cannot use that blank slate to sign a bunch of Almeida players, spend a ton of money, tie yourself to a bunch of contracts, and then have him leave at the end of the year. You can't do that. Yeah. I mean, I, this is maybe going to transition us into the next segment here. But what, what I'm interested in, too, is how quickly San Jose makes this hire. Because the longer you wait, the more there are other jobs that could pop up, right? Houston could open up with a new ownership group. I don't think Orlando would because they've been so successful under Oscar Pereira and Luis It would be a surprise. You know, yeah. it would be a surprise. But again, another new ownership group there. You know, could you see changeovers happen in other teams that are struggling? Salt Maybe. Lake might have a new ownership. Salt group. Lake might have a new ownership but group. They're, again, they're like Orlando, doing doing pretty well so far. Yeah. So, so I mean, there. You know, I think if you're San Jose, you got to kind of move quickly if you want to get a domestic candidate that you think would be kind of more in demand if a job opened up. You mm-hmm. know, does does mm-hmm. Cincinnati open up? That, yeah. So, um, I think that's important too. How how I quickly agree. they move here? I agree completely. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back after the break. Some more MLS talk, man. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we are back. Final segment, Allocation Disorder. Third time we're doing this. You can't tell. The energy's up. I just yeah. chugged a Red Bull. We're, we're ready to rock here, you know? <laughs> We're ready to rock. We actually, this is our first time recording the third segment today, so we really need to bring the That's energy. That's true. That's really true. We we haven't done this before, so we can't just follow a script like we did and just completely mail it in like we did for the first two segments. <laughs> and most shows. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> let's start in Atlanta, Paul. Uh, Atlanta United made a hire on Wednesday, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Demetrios Efstathiu has joined the club as a vice president of soccer operations and strategy. He comes to Atlanta essentially as a replacement for Paul McDonough, who left the club after the whole Miami scandal. He's going to be working with Carlos Bocanegra, sort of the number two, number one A, whatever you want to call it. He joins after spending 10 years working for MLS. He was most recently the senior vice president of player relations and competition. Basically, he was Todd Durbin, who runs that show. He was basically kind of a number two in that department, so... Certainly knows the rules. Paul, not many people know a lot about Demetrios. Um, you don't have to say his last name. I'll spare you. You don't have to say it. Um, tell us a little bit about him and what he might bring to Atlanta, why you think they made this hire. Well, I'm basically fluent in Greek, so I could I can nail this if I wanted oh, to. I just want to throw yeah? that out there. Please. Yeah, you know, I could. I'm just saying I could if I wanted to. Oh, um, yeah. Well, I want you to. Ephthathiu. Oh, okay. Yeah, you like that, huh? <laughs> Tickled me. So listen, I think Demetrios is, is he comes from the player department. We talk a lot about um, the player department in abstract, I think, less about it in, you know, the names of people who are there and who are in charge. Uh, but their job is they are the centralized office of, of roster management in Major League Soccer. They hold the key to everything. They're involved in negotiations. They're involved in salary cap management. Uh, they help teams balance their budgets and 
they tell everyone who has enough GAM and TAM, and that's how trades get approved and contracts get approved and all of that. Um, it's the area that we think that MLS should pull back from a little bit um, or to at least pull back in all of the responsibilities that exist there and empower team front offices a bit more. Um, so maybe we're not, you know, we don't have the biggest fans in that office every time, all the time. But what I can tell you is Demetrios is, is well regarded around the league. Um, he essentially was running the day to day of that department. Um, Todd Durbin is the, the longtime VP, SVP of that department. Um, and, you know, I think that what he brings to Atlanta is, is a hugely important amount of knowledge of how to manage the roster salary cap situation. And, you know, we, you look at Atlanta's roster, they're going to need it. They have a lot of players on big contracts, a lot of players, I'm sure on multi-year deals because, you know, big money deals usually are multi-year deals. So they're going to need all, all of the salary cap instruction they can get. I also, Sam, I wonder your opinion on this. I think there's kind of a big advantage in the first year or two after hiring somebody from the league office because of their knowledge of everyone else's cap situations from having worked in the league office. I mean, the most recent hire would have been Will Kuntz at LAFC, who worked in the player department. I just feel like there has to be because like MLS is not like Major League Baseball or the NBA. There is no centralized computer system. They don't know what other teams have and don't have. They only know it from a very they, surface they level. Can, they can ask, though. They, they can ask, but it's. I think it's not as easy to understand everyone's cap situations to the highest degree that that sure. he would. Um, so yeah. I, I think there's just a lot of, in other words, there's a lot of baked in advantages. And and when you look at people who have come out of that office before. Tim Bezbachenko in Toronto and Columbus won MLS Cups in both spots. Uh, Will Coons in LAFC won a Supporter Shield. Uh, Ali Curtis won a Supporter Shield with the Red Bulls. We'll Made see. an MLS Cup with Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there's been a, a good amount of success coming out of that office. There there has. Uh, that's an interesting point that you made about that, that kind of competitive advantage of knowing other teams' situations inside and out and who you might be able to kind of – you know, who might have some urgency in yeah, the trade market trade or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know how much of an advantage that would be because if, if teams are really up against it, they're going to be calling around. Right. And, and other teams kind of know that. Um, so, but no, that's an interesting point. I hadn't considered it. I think what this says to me really, Paul, is Atlanta distancing themselves from the taint of the Miami scandal and Paul McDonough. Um, you're making a face. Why? No, go on. We grow up, Tenorio. <laughs> Jesus. Get your mind out of the gutter, man. You have children. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh... <laughs> you have nothing. You can't even say anything for yourself. He muted himself. He's laughing hysterically. He can't stop laughing. Anyway, they wanted to distance themselves from that. And uh, getting a guy from the league office who knows the rules, who knows how to play by them, who knows the people that are enforcing them. I think that's just sort of like a statement of a statement of intent to use what I think you said in this recording, <laughs> maybe a previous one. We don't really know. About, Things about are getting Toronto. a little goopy here. I have another point for you, Sam. I, I want to throw your way. I think yeah. this is an interesting angle to it. Um, Demetrios, again, very, very well regarded for his work in the league office. Sure. Where we just talked a little bit about the lack of domestic options to take over sporting departments at a team level. 
I wonder how do you replace Demetrios at the league level? You know, are they deep enough there? We know they had issues keeping track already of of teams like Miami. Yeah. I think that, you know, they won't talk about how they found out about Miami. I don't think it's a, a situation that can be replicated. We know of other instances. We wrote about other instances of agent fees being paid on the side, of players getting offers of, you know, uh, jobs for their wives that don't really exist and, and things no like shit. that. Street and um, sand. We, we, you know, we know it's very <laughs> difficult to enforce this, this uh, also, that was a department, the player department was hit during the layoffs, layoffs in MLS. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they're going to have some issues there. They're going to have some issues Maybe. there replacing Demetrios and, and building out that team. I'm interested to see what happens there. I mean, I can't say, I can't speak to that with any real degree of knowledge in terms of who's going to come in and replace him. And it's just interesting to qualified. me. Yeah. Who's, it is interesting. Where do you yeah, go? Where do you go for that hire? The, Demetrios came from the legal side of MLS. Do they go back there again? I don't know. Maybe they elevate somebody in the player department. You know, that's that would be my first inclination. Um, but yeah, to me, this is kind of a reaction by Atlanta to distance themselves from that scandal and to make sure everything's buttoned up going forward. Because, I mean, you mentioned kind of the other shady dealings. One of the things that we haven't talked about so much is 2018 Atlanta United. And like, if that was all above board. And there are real questions about that. And, you know, having somebody from the league office come in and make sure the ship is being run tight and correctly, probably not the worst strategy in the world for them right now. So, and I think, frankly, also a smart move, I think, for Demetrios as well. Again, you've got another expansion team coming into the league, you know, imminently. We don't know the market yet, but we know another team's going to come in and take that Sacramento spot. Maybe it's Sacramento, maybe it's somewhere else. You've got new ownerships in multiple. Sam. What? Sam. What? We don't break news. We don't, we don't. Unbelievable. I didn't say anything. You said something. Um, this is what happens when you record this episode three times. I mean, absolutely lose. You need to get more sleep. You're hearing voices in your head. I don't know what to tell you. Unbelievable. Um, you know, you got multiple new ownership groups in different markets. I, I think, I think you, he's putting himself out there as a chance to, you know, get a little bit of experience on the team side. Um, at a team that that makes big transfers, that kind of you know were has and, also been active. Dude, in the let's league. be honest. It would be so much more fun to work for a club than for the league. Yeah, but I'm saying like he's, he's putting himself out there as a potential candidate to run a sporting department yeah. in the next few years. You know, you get to you get to have a tangible effect on wins and losses, and that's fun. That's exciting. The league, you don't have that. You don't work for a club. You work for the league. You got to root for everybody to win. You know. Uh, let's move along. Last thing here. Actually, second to last thing here, because we have a brief mention at the end that we need to get to. Houston, Ted Siegel taking over as majority controlling owner of the Dynamo and the Dash. Valuation, he bought in at $400 million. That does not include a stadium or a training facility. It just includes the rights to the lease for both of those. They're owned by the county, Harris County down there in Texas. He's a young guy, 40 years old. His parents emigrated from the Soviet Union back in 1978. And made a fortune in the energy sector, as you mentioned on the top of the show. Um, Houston is one of those markets that's a sleeping giant. It's a giant city. It's a growing city. It's an incredibly international city, right? People think, oh, Texas, Latin America, Mexico. That's very much true in Houston, but it's also very international from all around the world. Uh, It's a city that packs out stadiums for soccer games that aren't MLS games. 
<laughs> um, and it's a city where the MLS team has atrophied after starting really strongly and winning MLS Cup in 2006 and 2007, its first two seasons in town and drawing pretty well, although overwhelmingly well back at old Robertson Stadium. They moved downtown BBVA Compass in 2012, I want to say, midway through that season. And they haven't drawn so great since. And it's it's a little bit strange. They have an incredible location that's the envy of many many teams in MLS, right in the central city. The performances haven't been good. Under Gabriel Brenner's ownership, they didn't spend any money. The team has been bad, straight up, for years now. Uh, and this is a chance to kind of rewrite that history. This is the show that Matt Pence and I did that no one heard. We talked a lot about Houston. <laughs> um Siegel has come in. He's made some new hires already. Jamie Roots is coming in as, as CEO, a former crew executive. He ran the Texans for 20 years in the NFL. They signed a DP, which was a weird one, to say the least. Teenage Hadebe. Uh, he played for a lower tier, not lower tier, but lower table team in the F- Turkish first division. Uh, 25-year-old Zimbabwean center back, previously of, of Kaiser Chiefs in South Africa. And before that, I got to get this in, Chicken Inn FC in Zimbabwe. Uh, Chicken Inn is a restaurant, and they also own a soccer team or sponsor a soccer team. Um, sort of like Red Bull, but with chicken. Yeah, way cooler. Um, <laughs> and it, it's not really the typical profile of DP signing that we see in MLS, so that was a little... I don't know. Raise my eyebrow. We'll see. I, I can't claim to have watched him. So maybe he'll be great. Uh, also signed Tim Parker to an extension. So, Paul, what do, you, what do you make of this changeover? I know we don't have a lot of data, right? We don't really know what he's going to do. But you presumably will increase the spending to a certain degree. And it'll be a chance for something new and better in Houston, at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with everything you said about that market. I, I, everyone you speak to looks at that job when you talk to different GMs and people in front offices and says, hey, I would I would love to take over Houston with the right ownership group because the potential of what you can do in that market yeah. is incredible. You look at what, Houston, what, Chicago, what, Boston are kind of the three cities that get mentioned a lot there. I guess New York, but <laughs> that's a different show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just think that, the, you know, there it's seen as being able to replicate or even outpace what's what's happening in Austin as far as like if you could put a really good product on the field you can take advantage of that homegrown territory. You can do what FC Dallas does and and actually have an owner that wants to spend money, not just develop players and sell them and, and you know, yeah, kind of just chill. It would be a great opportunity. It, it would be a great opportunity. So I, I'm interested to see how the Siegel family approaches ownership, you know, what, what they how much money they want to spend, how how aggressive they want to go. Um I I think that I'm also intrigued what happens with Tab Ramos because I think Tab Ramos is a good coach. He's been successful. Um, he's on. Yeah, I believe he's in the last year of his contract. Yes, that's um, correct. You know what happens there? Um, Matt Jordan, the GM, also in the last year of his contract. Yeah. So I I I I get excited when there's new ownership groups coming in that you know I believe have the potential to spend more. The question is how much more are they going to spend? How aggressive are the Wilfs going to be in Orlando? How aggra- aggressive? as the new ownership group in Houston. What will the RSL ownership group look like? Um, how how much money is the richest owner in Major League Soccer or one of the richest owners in Major League Soccer, at least David Tepper, going to spend in Charlotte? You know, that all those things matter, but they can change the face of this league drastically if they come in and try to splash the cash. So that that ultimately is what I, I want to see is just kind of where they start to kind of remake the Dynamo. And it can't just yeah. be a rebrand. 
You know, I don't I don't want to see Houston FC in two years, and that's their big idea. Well, they're know? already Houston Dynamo FC. Yeah, and Columbus Crew is already Columbus Crew SC. They just rebranded. They got a new logo. Hold down, haven't you heard? Yeah, I, and I'm still expecting a HFC, Houston FC rebrand in two years. So I, I just would, I, I I get excited about the potential of the market, but gonna just gonna hold and wait and see wait and what see it approach. Looks like. Yeah, yeah, I th- I have faith that it will be better than what we saw previously because that was pretty bad. Uh, but that's a low bar. Yeah, it's a low bar. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, Paul, I cannot believe it's taken us this long. We had an allocation disorder trade extravaganza earlier this week. The Portland Timbers, man. We'll go down in hats, history. Hats off to you guys. Legends out there Joe, in give Oregon. Joe, me, give me some, some audience clapping man, sound right here. Drum rolls, just cheering. We're going crazy. It's the Timbers Army. Diego Valeri just put in a free kick. It's wild. Uh, for those of you who are not crazy nerds like me and Paul uh, and miss this, let me give you a quick rundown. Portland on Wednesday acquired an international spot from FC Cincinnati for $100,000 in GAM. They immediately turned around and traded that international spot to Nashville for $230,000 in general allocation money. <laughs> quick profit of 130 k But wait, there's more. According to somebody that I spoke to, and this will hopefully be in a story that will include some other tidbits, a little notebook that will be out at some point, maybe this week, maybe next, who knows. Um, on the athletic Portland also traded an international spot to Cincinnati before the start of the season for $225,000 in game. Apparently that trade included a little bit of a gentleman's agreement that when the secondary transfer window opened on July 7th, Portland could reacquire that international spot for $100,000 in GAM. They took that option and obviously, you know, sent it to Nashville. Cincinnati was cool with that because they probably weren't going to pick up Jurgen Locadia's option. They were working on some green cards for some guys, so they didn't necessarily need it for the full season. So just to kind of sum all of this up, Portland took one international spot and netted $355,000 in general allocation money. For one season of that spot. Yeah, correct. Incredible. I mean, incredible. Like applause. Executive of the year stuff. Open invitation to Gavin Wilkinson or Ned Grabavoy or Merritt Paulson to come Merritt on the show. Talk no us Gavin through it. or Ned, just Merritt. You know, just just come on. Let's let's talk about it. Let's let's toast. Let's have a beer. Yeah, and let's embrace the allocation disorder. Let, let's give it like let's give them an award. Yeah, it's the first award in allocation disorder history. What should we call it? Bam. I know we use that Bam? in our betting thing. It's like the BAM award, the for? best allocation money trade. Bam, Ooh. BAMPed. BAM. BAM, BAM. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. 